nine out of ten doctors do recommend this podcast. That's true. So excellent. Yeah, it's good for your brain and also your mind. I too am a fan of fun and real facts <laughs> and statistics. That's great. Oh. As, pre- be, as my mother always said, be incorrect but never indecisive. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So many. So many. So many damn books. Well, um, we might as well start, right? Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it, we have Hannah Petard with us in the damn library. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is so many damn books. The podcast that is both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Bring that one back. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, yeah, and we are so glad to have you back for your new novel. Uh, Visible Empire. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you. I'm really excited to be back here, uh, but not back here. I'm no. in a new location. It's beautiful. Indeed. Thank you. The yep. wall of books is lovely. We um we are have been a podcast for long enough now that people have written and published books since the last time that they came on. Yeah, is, it's really cool. It's just super cool. Yeah. So we're really excited to be celebrating a release of a new Hannah Petard novel. Have Have other people pointed out to you that you now have it set up so that uh it's like an interrogation wall where the <laughs> author is facing a hundred plus books by authors who are better, more famous, more well-loved than they are. I just, so I that- just did realize that I am currently blocking your, yours. Oh, you have the indispensable. I do. I don't even have the indispensable. Mm. That's really pretty. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Well, you should yeah. definitely have your indispensable. I was I gonna say, I bet those folks at Pals will be like, "Yeah, here you go." Before we get further, I mean, we we just said that you you've published other books, but those other books are called Reunion, yes, Listen to Me, and the Fates the f- will find their way. The I always want to say a way. Find That's their not right. way. You should hear all the names that my family. So even at, at, it's book four, and my family still doesn't take me seriously because I'm the youngest child. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be 95 years old, and my brother and sister are still going to be making fun of me, saying, "Now, what did you do for a living?" <laughs> um, but uh, they there there are so many different names for the fates will find their way. And for a long time, when I was trying to get my second book published, they would say things like, "Why don't you just write the fates are still finding their way, or the fates have found their way." again or did the fates find their way and every once in a while i'll go to one of their houses and i'll find one of my that book and they'll have actually messed with the title (laughs) on the cover and i'm like how drunk did you get to to do this work to my book you must really love me families keep you humble right they sure Uh do can i tell you about the drink i made it's a good one it's delicious calling it the pink chateau which is a foreboding place in visible empire but it's also a place of luxury and this drink isn't actually pink it's a light light sort of almost pink it's like um, apricot but it's, it's the just, apricot chateau mm-hmm. and it so but it's not pink it's just luxurious that's what i was thinking and it also has a large cast of characters hey. <laughs> like, your like an ensemble novel mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and this is uh, it has tequila guava juice Fresh squeezed lemon juice, egg white, grapefruit bitters, and maple tea flavored simple syrup. That's like perfect. <laughs> and um, 
I love messing with egg white. It makes for a nice foam on the top of the drink that when you finish the drink, it's like the last thing that you get. It's this nice, just airy, um, sort of marshmallow texture. Oh yeah, that is kind of what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very proud of this drink. I think that anybody who would have it would enjoy it. And there's a little protein in it, right? Yeah, exactly. Egg white has some protein. Oh, it's good yeah. for you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. It counterbalances the alcohol. It's mm. like you're. It's it's that like is negating. Science, yeah. it, it's it's science. Yes. It's one of the reasons right. the doctors love we this know. show. We <laughs> know. I think it's nine out of ten. Nine yeah. out of ten doctors. So that's the drink. And uh, I'd also now like to talk about what we bought. Cool. Because that's the next part. That is the next part of the show. Drew, what uh, did you sure. Buy? I actually, speaking of indispensable, the I guess now it's the second latest. I haven't gotten my most recent yet, which is uh, Tommy Orange's "They're There," uh, which I've already read and is amazing. But the last one that I got was Rachel Kushner's new book, "The Mars Room," mm. and it they usually they send cool things. They'll send they, the book comes in a slipcase and they'll throw in something. It's like chocolate or like a water bottle or a tote bag. Sometimes they throw in another book. This time they threw in two. Wow. Were they the books that were mentioned in the book that she reads in prison? Oh, no, that would have been cool. That would have been cool, right? One of them was The Flamethrowers, mm. which is cool because I didn't have it. And I was like, oh, this is great. And the other is um, Ursula K. Le Guin's last like, interview book mm. that she did with this guy, David Namon. Um, and it's interviews on fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. I think it's just called Conversations on Writing. Mm. But I opened it and I was like, three books. Wow. For the, yeah. For the price of, I don't know. One and a half. Books. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's, neat. That's cool. Um, Hannah? The last book that you that bought? I, uh, so Mars Room. Cool. I, I just recently finished that. Um, terrific. Questions about the ending. Mm. Still thinking about it, but I absolutely loved it. Ensemble novel also that I had not read any of the uh, hype going in so i had nothing to ex- uh, I, I i had no expectations and i was really surprised when i moved from the first person narration to the third of the teacher and then when we got like the rest of the cast of characters i was just totally blown away and i loved it um also recently bought and have read um exit west i think i'm a little bit late to that party but mm. i really enjoyed it and uh less Oh, the book oh yeah. Sean Greer. I just finished that and I have just started having purchased it because I did not steal any of these, obviously. <laughs> American Marriage. Oh. Terry oh, Jones. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying that. I just finished the second chapter and the first chapter was like, this is so lovely. They're so in love. What's the point of this book? It's so lovely. Bam, he's in jail. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm hooked. Uh, nice. I can't wait to read that. Yeah, mm. it's good. Christopher? I um I bought a book that I'm like crazy excited about. Uh, it's also one of these books that when you pick it up, it's bizarrely heavy, and it's because there's color photos Ooh. printed in it, so that always makes the book like really um, hefty. So I bought uh, Saving Central Park: A History and a Memoir by Elizabeth Barlow Rogers, and she's one of the main people who started the Central Park Conserv- Con- Conservancy. Uh huh. And um, it's about like 
the time period of of when Central Park was completely horrible in the and and uh, the efforts to save it. Cool. And so the pictures are of like the what the park looked like before, and I don't oh. know. I'm so excited to read this book. I have, I I've lived in New York for six years now, and Central Park remains my favorite place, <laughs> even yeah. though it's a touristy thing. And there's a reason why everyone needs to go there all the time. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um. And I should like Prospect Park more because it's closer and I go there more often. But Central Park still holds like some sort of mythological power for me. It's pretty special. Mm-hmm. You guys are lucky. Yeah. 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 So that are, that are. That are. That are what we have bought. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about your novel, <laughs> Visible Empire, Hannah. It's such uh, an achievement and a fantastic uh, no- a historical novel in some ways. Yeah. Although it doesn't feel like one. Uh, do you want to talk about what Visible Empire is about to our listeners sure, who sure, might sure, not sure. know? So um, I'm from Atlanta. I was born there, raised there uh, in 1962 when I was not alive yet. Uh, in 1962 in Paris, a plane... A chartered Air France flight carrying more than 100 of Atlanta's wealthiest art patrons, all white, uh, crashed on takeoff. And overnight, the city changed because obviously these were people who were at the top of the power of the infrastructure in Atlanta. Um, And so this is a story that I grew up hearing about in the 80s and the 90s as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, uh, because my my parents had been alive when the plane crashed. My mom was 13. My dad was 20. And um, when they got together, by the time they got together, uh, they they knew several, many of the adult children who were left behind. Oh, wow. And so I grew up hearing stories, many of them, I'm sure, apocryphal because I'm a storyteller and I get my storytelling uh capabilities from my father, um, including hyperbole, exaggeration, and sometimes straight up lying. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I choose not to scratch that surface too, too intensely. I, I like the stories my dad tells me. I like the stories my mom tells me. Um, but they, they blew my mind as a kid. And I, I was especially just taken by this idea of a hundred plus people wiped out in one fell swoop in the 60s and in Atlanta. I I always um, was really moved and interested as a writer in the idea of this kind of large-scale tragedy happening not in LA or New York or Mm -hmm. Chicago where in in general um, I feel like the country tends to look tended to look towards disasters there but it was in Atlanta where there was just so much change and upheaval, upheaval and possibility for for different outcomes uh back then so it's just it's just a story that's been in my mind for a really long time and and the book itself is not so much about the crash per se but about the aftermath and about the way that uh the would-be and fictional survivors go about sort of picking up the pieces of their lives yeah you mentioned that that the story has been the story of the crash has been around in your mind for a long time was has this novel been kicking around for a long time like did you always know you were going to write this book yeah 
Um, I I did probably even before I wrote uh, The Fates Will Find Their Way. This was the fantasy book in the back of my mind where I always thought this is going to this the big book. I I just need to be able to write this big book. Um, And I could never when I was working on The Fates Will Find Their Way, you know, this was just too big, too hard, too many people, too much research. I didn't know what research really meant or how to approach it. And then I was working on. I was working on reunion and I was thinking about it a little bit more and I was thinking this is the kind of book I, I was going through a real mercenary phase where I just I wanted I needed to make money I was in a lot of debt if anyone wants to know how much debt you can buy reunion <laughs> uh, I'm out of debt so you won't help me there but you will help me by buying that book um, <clears throat> but you can learn some pretty interesting facts about how far in debt I was but I was just my my brain was working really quickly about like how can I make money and what kind of book makes money so I was not in a very artistic phase at that time of my life in my life so I had by the time I'd finished reunion and it was under contract I had already started my third book um listen to me and I was out at lunch with my editor who's the same editor I have now she's the editor for the last three books and we were promoting reunion. You know, she was carrying that around in her lovely, enormous purse where <laughs> she would just produce a book. You know, we'd be sitting next to other book people at a sushi restaurant. I'm thinking of a very specific lunch. And she pulled out my book and showed it to these, like an agent <laughs> editor duo sitting next to us. And I was like, how many other books does she have in that bag? <laughs> like, she surely really can't just carry mine around. She must be prepared to do this for all of her clients. Um, it's but, like a know, Mary Poppins library. It's exactly <laughs> like that. Like, Hold on, let me dig around. And here's an extra outfit for when you pour red wine all over yourself. Um, <clears throat> so she, so she had reunion with me. I know that's what we were pr- promoting, and we had just. I had just sold Listen to Me, and we were talking about the edits on that and where I should take that idea and take that book. So I'm still actively working on Listen to Me. And she said, so what else, you know, what else are you thinking about in the future? What else is? And I said, uh, so there's this thing that happened in Atlanta, and it's the book that I've been thinking about for the last, you know, 10 or so years. And I described it to her, and she said, when can I have that? (laughs) And I said, well, first, I'm going to finish Listen to Me, which you're really excited about. And she said, no, no, we're really excited about Listen to Me. When can I have that other book? Um, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm making fun of this moment, but that was the moment where I knew that I was ready to write it and I was excited to write it. And I cool. knew that I also had somebody kind of in my corner wanting to read it. And I'm very good you know, I've always been, I'm, an, I'm a classic achiever. If you guys know the Riso Hudson Enneagram mm-hmm. from, it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I talk about this and listen to me, um, but I'm a classic achiever and I really like to please and I like to be the best of the best of the best. And so when I know that there's somebody who expects something from me, I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to let them down. And frankly, it was really useful knowing that my editor was excited about this book and she wanted it. So it made me excited to finish Listen to Me, which I did not um, I did not skimp on. I, I really love every single word in that book. I think it's like in many ways my smartest book. Um, but it it was also it was it made me excited to get through that book and then start this book. And mm. and I didn't you know, was never ready until I finally told her about it. And her excitement got me ready for it. And this is um, Helen Atzma. Yeah. Over yeah. At, I thought I'd 
at least give the name drop to her. Nice. Yeah. Um, hey, Helen. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting that you had um, listened to me like sort of at the forefront while you were thinking about starting this because they're yeah. so different books. Like, listen to me is like tight, just two characters, just 24 hours, basically. Um, Visible Empire is a huge cast of characters. And there's like a Greek chorus even of the mayor and his wife um, who are just discussing and still working over their emotions. Um, it makes me so happy that you call it that. You know, I went to St. John's College and it's very deliberately a Greek chorus. I oh, think. nice. So thank you. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the way it came across. Thanks. Um, and I don't know. I, I was some I was noticing maybe um, just from looking at Listen to Me and then going to this one thinking of um forgiveness as something that you're working that you often work with especially with um one of the main relationships in this book is uh lily and robert who are having a tough time in their relationship yeah um i just wanted to know what like these seems like like of course books are like a blueprint of your mind so i'm just wondering like what was work what were you working through with that so so the when my my third book came out which is about a marriage gone you know awry um i i just found out about my husband's infidelity with my best friend from grad school and uh it it kind of floored me i was unable to make certain podcasts <laughs> um and i came back in the summer that's right i totally remember that um but so i was working through that as i was starting this new book which even before he and I split up and before I knew why we were splitting up, I did know that I wanted, I liked the idea of, as a project, as a challenge, the idea of beginning with a couple that breaks up, that's at the beginning of the novel, and how to reunite them at the end, mm. having let them go on their separate ways for the entirety of the book, having let them do their own thing, experience it, experience their own losses, their own gains, so that when they come back together, they are completely different people, completely better people. They have a different kind of marriage and a different kind of relationship than they ever could have had before. But it took being apart in order to make them better being together. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just the idea that I had. And then, uh, and then my husband and I got a divorce and, um, Actually, I remember when I left New York, went went home. He he was in New York still. We didn't see each other. It was a lot of phone calls. I, I went back to Lexington. He finally came home about three weeks later, and we we took the dog for a walk. I wouldn't let him in the house. I mean, we were crying, we were sobbing, we were best friends for so long. So um, it, it was very complicated. But but we took the dog for a walk. And, you know, there were there were tears, there was laughter. And at one point he said, you know, what's awful about this, what's awful about this affair is that the whole time I just wanted to call you and tell you, like, I just wanted to tell you about how funny she is. And, you know, she's she's not as awful as as I always told you she was. And I, I remember stopping and we were in this neighborhood where we always walked our dog with these beautiful houses. And I said, I want to tell you something right now. Two days ago. I wrote a portion of this book 
and it's not you it's not what you're saying right now I did not steal this from you it has already been written but I wrote a portion of this book where the husband is talking about how all he wanted to do while he was having this affair was talk to his wife who he'd always thought of his best friend as his best friend he just wanted to tell his wife she's so funny about his mistress Mm -hmm. you would like her she said the (laughs) damnedest thing today Mm -hmm. and I told him this and I was like I just want you to know that was already in my book and he was like this is why you're fucking awful and I was was like you're the and then we, you know, then we started fighting. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, this is why I am awful to, you know, this to be in a relationship that I'm able to, while I'm supposed to be having this really traumatic moment, step back and be like, I just want to make sure you know, in, t- in two to three years when this book that I'm working on finally comes out, this wasn't your idea. This was already mine. It's like, it's like are you for fucking real and i'm like are you (laughs) um so i was working through some stuff and and one thing that i did a a real realization that i had um was i think that i think that the world the 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 heart is a really complicated and um big capacious organ and i think that we are all capable of loving a lot of people and i don't think that love is a limited thing and sometimes that the fact that we have such big hearts gets us into trouble Mm -hmm. you know and and um my ability to allow lily who is the pregnant woman who is left by her husband in in visible empire she's able to forgive robert for leaving her uh because she experiences her own amount of you know sort of extramarital love and she's like i get it you can mm-hmm. you can love your husband and also love another man at the same time and and I think I suspect if there are any other egoists or narcissists out there <laughs> I think I'm both but I suspect that many of us um, probably walk around and we're like you know I could have an affair and love two people but I don't think the person I'm with could because mm-hmm. like he's really smart and lovely but he's probably only able to love one person but I know that in the past I've been like I bet I'm good at it <laughs> I, I bet I'm really good at it like I would you know I don't want to ever try it having been through on the other side but I'm kind of like I bet I'd be really good at it <laughs> I'd love to know, I mean, this is your fourth book, your four books into your writing career. Um, I'm just curious if you um, feel like your identity as a writer is like well um, represented by your work so far. That's an interesting way of putting that question. I like it. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy with the books I've written you know, I, I feel differently about each of them. Uh, before we came into this room, I was talking a little bit about reunion as kind of my, my least favorite child. Uh, and, and it's funny because I have some colleagues who I work with and they love it. You know, they talk mm-hmm. about reunion as just being this this really open, honest. Um, it's It's not trying to do anything. It's just it's very, you know, straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I think of listen to me as a comp- like a perfectly distilled v- version of a marriage on the brink and and I don't think there's a word out of place and, and like I, I said earlier I think it is kind of my smartest book and I'm I'm just I'm really proud of it and I think of fates I think of the fates will find their way as this um I managed to get all all 30 years of my life 
the 30 years that it took me to sort of live and and think about writing and think about reading are all in that one book it 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 gets it gets at everything that i was worried about and thinking about um sentimentality and nostalgia the way that the men in my life and i'm talking about you know my brother and my father boyfriends the men in my life um, seemed never to live in the present and only in the past. So, and mm. I, so I was really trying to to deal with, and and I think also we see often in TV and on uh, in movies, men aren't sentimental and men, you know, don't wear their hearts on their sleeve. But what I see in real life is like men can be so much more sentimental and so much more emotional than women sometimes, and and some of the uh, the most terse and tense moments of my life and and uncomfortable and angry moments have been with women and and really sharp moments not with men and so I was trying to talk about all of that those those 30 years of sort of working out men and women uh in the fates will find their way and and I think I couldn't write it now it's also emotional in a way that I don't Mm. think I could tap into again and then there's this you know ensemble novel that has more more perspectives than ever um and I wanted to write my big epic book which turned out only to be 288 pages (laughs) um, (laughs) which is like saying something for me because I usually come in at a like right under 200 um and I I think what where I finally am is just ready to I think my next book is going to probably be closer to reunion in tone and scope and ease. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to keep writing. I, I just want to, you know, write my next book. And that's got to be a nice place to be. Mm-hmm. I think it is, and it it certainly helps that I have a full time job. Right. Um, it helps that I you know, that full time job is writing uh, or and teaching writing. Um, and the university where I wor- work is a research one, which means they emphasize and promote writing. And that's part of my job designation. My time designation is is to write. And I'm very lucky and I'm aware of how lucky that is. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not a bad place to be on the eve of 40. Mm. So... Something else that I was looking at in Visible Empire was just your use of animals. Mm-hmm. There's some weird animals in this book. Oh, yeah, there are. The um, armadillo. Yeah, there's the armadillo, and there's also the bird. The bird. Mm-hmm. Um, a parrot? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Um, and I and there was also like a a dog was a big part of, of Listen to Me as well, right? Yeah. 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 Dog's a big part. Um, I'm just curious. Like dog, I mean, all of these animals, they're, they're like such an other... Um, but they also like create like these big moments. So I had a realization and this, this happened um, yesterday actually about dogs. So I'm always telling my students always kill the dog. It's, <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's, it's a joke. And uh, especially my grad students, they've, they've read, uh, they read my stories and they don't tell me that they've read my stories. And then some, you know, they'll come to class and they'll be like, what do you have against dogs? <laughs> <laughs> dogs die in my in my stories. Um, and so I've sort of started this joke in class. I'll be like, always kill the dog. Oh, you put a dog in there, always kill the dog because that you're automatically going to... That's your um, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> if there's a dog in my book. Um, Ada Limone, who's a poet uh, that I absolutely adore, and she happens to live in Lexington, um, she, I gave her uh, Visible Empire a galley a couple months ago, and 
she the first thing she tweeted at me was is there a dog and I said no there's not a dog and she said there better not be a dog and I said but there is an armadillo (laughs) (laughs) um so but but there's a book no, is my favorite book from childhood, and it's uh, A Dog of Flanders, and it is about Nello and Patrash, and the book begins, Nello and Patrash were alone in the world. They were friends in a friendship deeper than brotherhood, and Nello was, or no, and Patrash was his dog. A dog of Flanders. And then it goes on and on. I listen to it as a book on tape. So sometimes I have, I have to do <laughs> Nello and Patrash. That's actually how it sounded. Nello and Patrash were alone in the world. They were friends in a friendship deeper than brotherhood. <laughs> and Patrash was his dog. A dog of Flanders. And then it goes on and on and on and on and on. But um, Patrash dies. <laughs> and uh, and I, I realized yesterday I was talking to to a former graduate student of mine who came to a reading last night and I was telling her about this book and I just stopped and I thought, this is why the dog always dies. Uh-huh. Um, and then the reason Invisible Empire that a dog doesn't die is because my editor told me that it couldn't be another dog. <laughs> she was like, you can't, you can't kill another dog. And I said, how about a man? And she said, no. <laughs> there's no there's too much death in this book already and so then i it, you know there had to be a hit and run i knew there had to be a hit and run that was always part of the plot and finally i said how about an armadillo and she said we can work with that <laughs> so oh wow that makes me think there are there are a lot of near misses in your work actually as i'm as i'm now like thinking back across all of your books but I, I was so interested in when I started Visible Empire because the story, like the plane crashes and everybody on the plane dies. And it's not it's not the way that we think about like big stories about tragedy and the fact that there are people in this book who like could have been on the plane and weren't. And it it struck me in a way that I think it rarely ever does when you read stories about tragedies, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, that all of these people are are living through the grief, but also the sort of like, oh shit, that could have been me. Right. Right. The survivor guilt of it. Of just like, they they weren't even near the plane or, but just because someone they knew was on it, they have a weird survivor guilt about it. Yeah. And I'm wondering, especially the the Greek chorus chapters Mm. between the mayor and his wife, they're the only, the only two real, real people. Only the mayor is real. His, his oh. so his wife. Um, the the Greek chorus chapters that we keep talking about are Ivan Allen, who is based on a real character. Um, I've completely appropriated him as a politician. You know, in the same way that Philip Roth appropriates Lindbergh as president. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just taken Ivan Allen. Uh, but Louise was the name of his real life, uh, real wife, um, and. I made his wife Lulu a, a kind of pet name of Louise, and I did that intentionally—a kind of nod towards reality, but but not actually necessarily her. I mean, for all I know, somebody might have called her Lulu, but I don't know that to be true. I, what I wanted was to use a political couple as a way to anchor the book historically, and also provide a method for me to be able to include some of those historical details um, like Harry Belafonte mm-hmm. um, there uh, right after the crash, Harry, Harry Belafonte is denied service at an all white restaurant. And 
um, MLK cancels a sit-in that they were going to host or have um, in order to protest the treatment of Harry Belafonte in Atlanta, and they cancel the sit-in because out of respect for the people who have died in the crash. And I wanted to be able to bring in things like that without writing an essay. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I first was working on those historical chapters, um, they all felt like essays. They felt like nonfiction. And when I put them as dialogue between the mayor and his wife, they became, to me, it felt like art. It felt like a way of hinting at these actual instances, but also using grief and looking at another relationship, the husband and the wife, um, a political uh, relationship. Um, yeah. So there, Ivan Allen is real. Lulu is, um, imagined. Interesting. Mm. Well, I guess this actually leads to a different question, but uh, about the historical stuff that you're pulling into this novel, I feel like the other character who really, his chapters are, are sort of constantly referencing the sociopolitical climate is Piedmont. Mm-hmm. And we were, I mean, Christopher and I were talking about this earlier and like the question really is just like, talk about writing Piedmont. Yeah. Yeah. So Piedmont Dobbs is um, a 19 year old African American. Uh, when I, so when I first started researching this book, one of the earliest works of nonfiction that I looked at was a book called, the Explosion at Orly by Ann Abrams. And it's nonfiction, obviously. Um, and a, a small chapter in there deals with, you know, she's she's setting the, the tone of Atlanta at the time, but she talks about the Board of Education and um, what's happening with integration in Atlanta. And in 1961, Atlanta finally begins, you know, integrating, um, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was passed in 54 and Atlanta took its very sweet time getting Mm -hmm. around to, you know, actually doing what it needed to do. Um, But but one of the details in the book was that in 1961, uh, there was a call. Applications were accepted from African-Americans around town, juniors around town uh, to apply to be one of 10 black students who would integrate 12th grade. And um, 132 people applied, 10 were chosen, and nine ultimately enrolled. And when I read that detail, I thought, this is the perfect way into dealing with race, which I knew I had to deal with, um, in in part because it's 1962 and it's the South and it would have been completely irresponsible not to uh, talk about race and racial tensions, but also because of a Malcolm X quote that I discovered while I was researching this book um malcolm x talks about the crash as the work of god this is one of the epigraphs in the novel but he talks about the crash as about as though it's the work of god and he calls on god to do it again every day and so the minute i i saw that quote i knew that i had to talk about race and i had to take on this subject and then once i'd read the book of nonfiction and i'd seen this opportunity about 132 african-american students who had applied and only 10 had been chosen i thought what must it have been to be one of the students who didn't apply? Mm. Um, and, and that is where Piedmont was born from, from that idea. And from there, it just became, it 
you know, P- one, so Piedmont's origin story chapter, I, I think that there are a few characters that have their origin stories and it's like what this character is doing on the day of the crash. Mm-hmm. And Piedmont, when we meet Piedmont, he's been a year out of school. He drops out when he's not chosen to help integrate the public school system. He's working as a janitor. He's left his mother's home. Um, his mother doesn't know where he is. And he's in this bar where he's mopping a floor, a white establishment, and he's watching these white men watch the television as their white friends die. And he's just standing there with his own personal, this huge devastation that he's had, not not getting to integrate because he thought this was going to be his trajectory in life to be a great African-American leader and lead his people forward. Um, and so that hasn't happened. And he's standing there, 19, completely devastated. And his first thought is... The city had it coming, mm-hmm. and he spends he spends the rest of the book in some ways um, struggling through what it means to have had that thought as his first instinct, and whether or not he wants to be the kind of person who has that kind of thought as a first instinct. And um, I guess I understand that, you know, as yeah. a as a human being, not necessarily liking my instincts and trying to understand them and deal with them. So Piedmont was really close, really close to my heart. And, um, you know, I understand there are certain risks with writing a character um, from another perspective. But I think at the end of the day, I choose to embrace the idea of radical empathy across racial boundaries as opposed to, um, you know, wanting to put boundaries between them right like staying like in your lane right. yeah i don't want i i don't want if i have to stay in my lane i'm not going to write fiction mm-hmm. right I really if i have to write about what i know i'm already bored mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm really already bored to pivot over towards the book that you brought um you pivoted in the novel uh to this book uh invisible man by ralph ellison um as something that Piedmont had read um, and was sort of saying like, I sort of feel like this guy, but I also don't feel like him at all. Um, The, the crazy thing was, I really felt like it was funny when I was reading invisible man, I was like, Oh, this is, this is probably where she got this. I don't know. Because I knew we were going to be talking to you about it. Um, I kept thinking like, Oh, like this, this actually goes well with (laughs) invisible empire. It's like, Oh, right. (laughs) because you told us to read it. Um, <laughs> you know what's, I have, so in the, in the interest of complete honesty, I read Invisible Man in college at the University of Chicago. I remember loving it. I remember being moved by it. Um, and I, I did not pick it up again. And then I was working on this book and I knew that Invisible Man was going to be the book that uh, Piedmont's, Piedmont has a teacher who is very moved by the book and Piedmont even has this moment where he's talking about having been embarrassed by Mm -hmm. his teacher, you know, pounding the desk and being very emotional, which I think is something that, um, you know, all teenagers experience at some point. They're watching adults be emotional and you're like, oh, my God, that's so (laughs) awful. And then fast forward 10 or 20 years, as, as I have done from teenager to adult. And I think, you know, I am that adult. I have become the adult where I'm just like, you, you, the youth is wasted on you have emotion (laughs) like don't be embarrassed to have emotion like embrace this do you understand this is about you so so that was very real for me but it was it was actually after the book was finished 
And um, my mom moved to Lexington and she was, she, my mom is just a voracious reader. She puts me to shame, my colleagues, she, colleagues to shame. She just reads so much. And she, she kept talking about Invisible Man. She was rereading Invisible Man. And I was so jealous and also mad um, that she was rereading it and, and, and how vivid it was that I finally reread it in March or April. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is, this is really lucky how well, <laughs> how well this fits in. I mean, we have a dropout. We have, it, it's just, I was so surprised, but then it's also a devastating book and so profoundly relevant still. Mm. Wildly. Yes. I did not read it in school. My no. senior year of high school, uh, my AP lit class got split randomly. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was a class of 10 white suburban kids. We got split randomly between Invisible Man and Catch-22. You got Catch-22. I got Catch-22, which at the time I was like, this book is great. It's funny, whatever. And I, as I was reading this, I was like, fuck, I really wish I had read this in high school. See, I had the opposite. I, I felt like I would have felt like Piedmont and had my professor been or my teacher been like, oh, like yeah. yelling at me about how important this book was. I don't know. I, I feel like I would have had to, I would have been assigned an essay like, follow his suitcase. Right. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Like yeah. you would right. and it would have just ruined it. Like I, I love that. I just got to actually listen to it. Uh, Joe Morton reads it and it is. I've listened to the Joe Morton. He is so good. It's, it's an experience. It's so, so good. When the, the, his name was Clifton mm. portion. Um, when I, when I was listening to it. So I, I, I read obviously, but I also listen to books on tape when I run and, mm. um, I started hyperventilating when I was, when the, his name was Clifton portion came on, I had to stop, like pull over my body. I had to pull over my body on a run. I was like six miles in and I, it was difficult to breathe. I mean, I was wheezing on the side of the road listening to this. And I thought this is insanely relevant. It is, it is just so gorgeous and heartbreaking. His voice is great for it. Yeah. It's just, it has so much just depth and gravitas the whole time that you're just i don't know every voice that he does too he does great voices for people he really does yeah Yeah. and and the um when he's describing vespers at the college before uh the invisible man the unnamed narrator drops out and he's talking about the bells ringing and the voices rising and the singing it's just so gorgeous i mean it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful rendition of the book I, I mean, I love that this book goes into just how powerful a speech can be. I'm, and so, of course, I'm glad that I had Joe Morton speechifying at me. Yeah. Because, like, these speeches that he gives are unreal. And they also just seem like, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a, just an ode to good speeches. Like, if you, if you say the right thing, you can, you can inspire people. Yeah. So often when a writer, said like here's this rousing speech and the people were so moved you're like i guess mm-hmm. and in this every single time you t- like i too i was like yes okay <laughs> yeah what are we doing let's go <laughs> yeah, let's i feel the put same these way furniture back I th- in our house I, exactly yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think what makes it effective is that we are actually invited in the text of the book we are invited to go on the journey with the character that that he does not go into it knowing that 
what he's going to say or or knowing how he feels even so we get to witness and move along with him from you know he's he's a cynic at times he's doubting at times mm-hmm. he he says i don't really know what i'm saying at times and then he starts you know speaking and it's just like when the brotherhood brings him in for that his first official speech yeah. and and he's it's so embarrassing at first and he's he's mortified and then the audience starts speaking to him and he realizes how great he's doing and he just gets so involved and then he finds out that the brotherhood hates it <laughs> yeah. we experience that with him we are i mean i'm i'm nervous for him i'm like oh my gosh the microphone is mm-hmm. you know speaking back to you you're not the right distance from it but then and when the audience is involved, I'm excited for him. And then when the brotherhood says you did poorly and he's so excited, I'm like, no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm as disappointed as he is. And it yeah. just it does such a good job making sure that we're experiencing, I think, the revelations as he experiences them as right. well. Well, mm-hmm. these speeches, they don't come from nowhere. It's right. not you. They, he spent 90 pages of stuff happening to him that now he's going to digest in like these three pages of just beautiful, right, incredible prose. Um, I don't know that that was another joy of this book is like it is devastating and so many horrible things happen and it's so violent, um, and just horror after horror occurs. But at the same time, there's just um, Ellison just takes these moments to just give something nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like something nice will happen and you just it'll it'll lift you back up to like let you i guess get you ready to get knocked down again by another atrocity but just moments like um when he pays back mary for uh the rent that he he just got hired by the brotherhood and he has this money and he's just trying to give her and he, and he like plays out that scene for a long are time are you not terrified the entire time that she's about to fall off the chair yeah yep. yeah isn't it amazing how tense we are during that scene <laughs> that that ultimately ends up being just this wonderful act of decency and kindness the whole time i am expecting violence accidental violence um you know the work quote unquote the work of god uh, like an an ac- a freak accident of nature mm-hmm. nope mm. nope he just turns around and walks out and she doesn't fall off the chair but we're just, I'm so petrified throughout it, mm. even even in that moment of kindness. I knew I wasn't going to be ready for this book uh, when the letter, when he finally reads the letter that he's been bringing around to people. Ooh. I, I knew th- I, that. I was like, oh, just read the letter. Just do it. <laughs> just read it. Because he's got the, so he's, um, he's sort of kicked out of um, his college and he's heading around um, New York. He's been told by this guy, like, go see these people. They'll give you a job. You can make the money that you need to come back to school. And he's given six letters. Yeah. And he's sealed. Sealed. And he says, you can't open these. And he's like, okay. And he, and he he's in bed in New York. And he's like, I could open these. I, yeah, I I've heard steam. that people steam them open. I don't know how I'd do it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any steam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then he just bring And, and so when he finds, he's on his last letter when he finally gives gets it given back to him to read. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that was somehow worse than anything I could have thought. It's the beginning of his awakening that he doesn't want, right? I mean, it's the, it's like biting the apple and this is is the new reality. His life is the unsealed letter. Yeah, it is. It's that um, moment where you can't go back again. Things have been irrevocably changed for him at that moment. Yeah. He he can no longer uh, like just look at the world as a wide open future he understands that there is adversity and and like the rug is literally taken out from under him and mm. it's 
devastating. Thank you for having us read this. It's This is one of those things where I'm like, man, I'm so glad I had the reason to finally pick this up. Right. I'm, glad, was, I'm glad that you both read it as well. Yeah, and it was so cool to read this and also have like, that it was in conversation with something that it directly inspired that was living inside you without you even realizing it. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. And I love having read it so recently. It's one of those books that I feel like we all need to read every year. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah. that good and that powerful. Like I just want to assign it to my students all the time now. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to recommend other novels? Sure. Or other things? We can recommend anything. Well, that's true. We can recommend anything. Drew, do you want to start recommending things? I will recommend a book that actually when this episode comes out, I I think it maybe comes out the week after this episode. Um, But it is a book that I hope will hit the canon in the same way that Invisible Man does. It's It's a book that I want everybody to read and that everybody should read in school and reread. Uh, it's Amber Tamblin's Any Man. Mm. The The synopsis sounds like you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. The idea is that she's following a serial rapist who is a woman who is raping men. And she's following the men as survivors. And at first you're like, oh, I don't. And the thing that she pulls off, but prose wise, it's just like technicolor, dazzlingly beautiful. She's she's bringing in poetry and essay and journalism and fiction writing, and it's just it's a really beautiful book on the sentence level. But it hit me in this way, where all of a sudden, I under I just like something clicked and opened, and I understood the 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 way that a victim moves through the world in a way that I don't think I ever could have having been lucky enough in my life not to have been a victim of any kind of sexual violence. Mm. And it, it, I was like, man, this is what, this is what art is supposed to do. This is what fiction is supposed to do. It's supposed to provoke that radical empathy that moves you so far that you suddenly see the world in a different way. And it has been a long time since a book, especially one that I didn't expect like, it's a new book. It's not like it's a classic where they're like, your life will be changed. And then you're like, it was this. I went in just being like, okay, I loved her poetry. Mm-hmm. And man, it floored me. Mm. It's really good. Wow. Well, that's a serious compliment. I yeah. can't wait to read it. I have not yet read it. I have it on my shelf. I will pick it up sooner. Yeah. Um, do you want to go or do yeah. you want me to go? Yeah, no. Um, so I've been doing this thing lately where I'm trying to fill in some gaps too. Um, and I, but I've been going new, old, new, old uh, cool. books. So two of the books that I had not read, but they're probably books that I claim to have read. Um, <laughs> but now that I've read them, I can say it, it's like uh, having an eating disorder and getting over it or being in debt and being out of it. You're like, you should know that back then. <laughs> um now that I've read them, I can say it. Uh, American Pastoral, uh-huh. which is just one of the greatest novels um, that that I can remember reading. And I can't believe I went so long not having read it. Um, Philip Roth, it's absolutely 
gorgeous, heartbreaking, another book that is still so relevant now. Um, and, and he does such beautiful things uh, with the narration and, and with the narrative. Um, it, it's, it's as fresh and as new as anything I've, I am reading currently. Um, and that's, that's just a huge compliment, but also um, a handmaid's tale, which I had never read. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, so that's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> and uh, so those, those were the two books that I've recently read that I should have read, you know, all of my life and, and I didn't have them read. And I'm so glad that I, I, I have now, I now have them under my belt, but two things, um, at, both Atlanta based Atlanta, the show. Yes! It's, it's so it's good. So, so good. good. I had been putting it off and putting it off. And if my 18 year old niece ever listens to this, so, so she and I are so um, similarly, we have temperaments that, you know, we have to be right. And, um, and we're both achievers. And she said, you've got to see Atlanta. It's so great. And I said, yeah, every, everything I've read says it's just the wire redone. I've already seen the wire. And she said, Oh really? Everything you've read said it's the wire. (laughs) And I said, yeah, everything. And she said, just do me a favor and like watch one episode. And I was like, whatever. Um, (laughs) so I, I watched one episode and then of course, two days later I had seen the entire season Mm -hmm. because it is nothing like the wire and it's just so smart and funny and fresh. So that was just amazing. And then also Atlanta monster, as far as podcasts go, I'm kind of, I'm hitting up all of the senses. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can, you can read two novels, you can listen to Atlanta monster, um, or you can watch Atlanta. And those are my recommendations. Wow. It was, it was cool to start watching Atlanta while I was reading this book. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh, and it's, I mean, unless I'm completely tricked, it's really filmed there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's It's good. Yeah. Um, I am going to recommend, uh, not a book, but it's based on a book. Um, Netflix's adaptation of a series of unfortunate events. Let me snick it. Yeah. Um, I season two is so good, and it's even better than season one was. Um, it's sillier and wackier, and I was watching it on a plane. Um, and there's a part where it, for reasons, there there's like a um they're like running around in a circle and there's a baby that's running with them, but they've switched the baby for a bag of flour. <laughs> and, you know, Patrick Harris's character sees that the bag of flour baby has oh stopped God, running. So funny. And he's just like, I'm going to go kick that baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, <can't handle> <laughs> I left. I laughed so hard on the plane. Like I burnt. And it's one of those, like you didn't weren't ever expecting to laugh that much uh-huh. that I just, burst out laughing on this plane and luckily it wasn't like an overnight flight or anything it was in the middle of the afternoon but people like came over and were like what you doing what you watching (laughs) (laughs) so that um i'm gonna interrupt you for a second so another book that i listened to and didn't read was the rachel kushner the the mars room Mm -hmm. and she reads it herself which is really interesting it's her voice um but she tells one joke in it and i was running and i had a very similar experience where i started like snort you know as opposed to invisible man where i'm so moved and sad that i have to like double over nearly crying and hyperventilating this was i was laughing 
laughing so hard. <laughs> and it's it's the one sex joke that this cop who's been arrested can remember. He has all of these jokes, but there's this one joke that he can remember. And he gets he he says the whole thing, and I just died laughing <laughs> and I couldn't wait to get home and I told my mom the joke and she had the same she wasn't running I was like mom you got to hear this joke and I told her the whole joke and she just same thing it's just brilliant I oh, love I when wait. a when a book or a show just like actually gets you in stitches it actually gets mm-hmm. you yeah. yeah I love that too that's great um so yeah I find that's happening to me a lot with two podcasts the adventure zone and hello from the magic tavern but Both. those are meant to be funny. They I mean, are, but I feel like such an idiot when I'm like on the subway and I'm just listening and it's, I like have a smile on my face maybe and something happens and I just start laughing and I'm like, Ooh. sorry, nobody look at him. It's uh don't worry about it. Cause and yeah, inevitably people, especially in New York, people are like, what are you laughing about? Mm-hmm. You must be a psychopath. Yeah, you must be insane. Yeah. All I can, I can bring myself to giggles. I know I need, we all need to stop talking, but I can bring <laughs> myself to giggles walking down the street. If I just think about the, the woman who plays the German character in Veep, Mm. <laughs> who, who is constantly telling the vice president we are best friends <laughs> no you're my best friend i just die i'll just be walking down the street and i can hear her saying no because we are best friends and you know about penises <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay i'm gonna recommend one more thing now then a po- another podcast to listen to it's a uh, meet my friends the friends uh with tom sharpling and it's a it, it is sort of a friends recap um show but it is not actually that Um, it's so funny it's really about his um assistants and how inept they are and there are just some andy kaufman-esque things that happen that i just can't and they also all of the ads um if you're a podcast listener that's making fun of every single podcast ad you've ever heard great two like fake mattress companies that are having fights in the (laughs) in the ads that's awesome oh my god meet my friends the friends with tom sharpling great okay there's a lot of good stuff out there there's a lot of good stuff out there one of them is visible empire by hannah petard at yeah. your local bookstore now go and pick it up it is a summer read actually i i, I would say it's that it's a good summer read um it's uh, luxurious but it's devastating and it's um you know a great novel thanks y'all i appreciate it thanks for coming back thanks for the drink no problem uh and all of you out there in podcast land we really appreciate when you Give us money on our Patreon, patreon.com slash smdb. You still have time to um, to pledge at $10. Get the tote. And we'll give you a tote. The it's cutoff gonna... will be very soon, though. Yeah, super soon. We might not tell you when the cutoff is. Yeah. So so jump on that um, and, and pledge us $10 and give us your money because we like when we have it and we do cool things with it. Like just give it back to you guys in tote form. Um, and also go to iTunes and review us. We are so close to 100 reviews. Maybe by the time this comes out. Really, really close. Um, yeah. So go ahead and do all of those things. And keep reading. Keep reading books. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, Goodbye. It's over now. <laughs>